0: have your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and crack them open into Acts chapter 9. This morning, we're going to be picking up where Pastor Rory left off two weeks ago. Last week, Johnny shared from Romans chapter 5. And so we'll be picking up in Acts chapter 9, finishing the chapter today, looking at verses 32 through 43. Go ahead and stand. We'll read this together. The title of this morning's message is, Peter's posture produces provision. Or it could be the deliberation of Peter. The deliberation of Peter. So Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Follow along as I read. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, And the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And he became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would open your word to us that you would open our hearts to your word. Lord, that we might sense what you're trying to, to teach us, what you're trying to reveal to us. And Lord, as we prayed last night at your prayer meeting, we asked that at the end of our time together, that there would be something that the Holy Spirit would impress upon each and every one of our hearts individually. And that we would leave this place knowing that God spoke to me concerning this. God encouraged me concerning that. God, reveal this to me. Lord, we pray that there would be a work of your spirit where those of us who have been paralyzed spiritually would be made well. Those of us, Lord God, who are dead spiritually would arise and be made alive. And so, Lord, we look to you and to your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord God, that you would speak that you would teach, that you would encourage, Lord, that you would correct if need be, but that your name would be glorified in this place and in our hearts and lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Quick little summary. Saul of Tarsus has gone back to Tarsus um, after (coughs) churning up the churches of Judea. It says in verse 31 that when he left, the churches had peace, that they began to grow. They were comforted by the Holy Spirit. And we come to verse 32, and here we see Peter again. Now, we haven't seen much of Peter um, really since chapter 5. We see a little glimpse of him in chapter 8, but really chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9 deal with three individuals, Stephen, Philip, and Saul. And now we come to the end of chapter 9, and here we see Peter again. Moving out of Jerusalem, perhaps challenged by Saul. In Galatians chapter 1, we read that after Saul became a Christian, he presented himself to the disciples there in Jerusalem, wanting to make sure that the gospel he had learned from Jesus was the gospel, was a correct gospel. And we're told in Galatians 1 that he stayed with Peter some fifteen days. Now, during that period of time, the apostles seemed to be very much anchored in or centered in Jerusalem. But perhaps Saul, during those 15 days, Saul reminded Peter of the words that Jesus spoke, that believers are to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond. And perhaps Peter said to him, what are you guys doing hanging out here in Jerusalem? What's going on? And maybe he encouraged him that the mission field is bigger than Peter's backyard. That the gospel is bigger than just going to synagogue and just taking care of your own community. Those things are good. Don't get me wrong. But there are people out there that need to hear the gospel. Who are perishing in their sins. Who are imprisoned by guilt and shame. Who are separated from the God that made them and the God that loves them. The world needs the gospel now more than ever before. Amen? And especially as we see the day approaching. Now, we don't know exactly what they talked about, but for whatever reason here, we see Peter venturing 35 miles northwest of the city of Jerusalem to a city of Lydda. In the Old Testament, the city is known as the city of Lod, L-O-D. So Lod in the Old Testament, Lydda in the New Testament, same city. And it's without question that Saul traveled through this region on his way to the coast in order to catch a boat to go to Tarsus. Without question, Philip the Evangelist, the one that preached Christ to the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, had great influence in the cities in the north, the south, and the west of Jerusalem. And now, an official representative, Peter, from the church of Jerusalem, an apostle of Christ, no doubt led by the Holy Spirit, moves out of Jerusalem to these young churches. Now, when I read this, I can't help but think of how this must have been an incredible encouragement to those young believers, to those fledgling churches. They had the Holy Spirit, check. They had heard the gospel, check. They responded to the gospel, check. But I imagine they desperately wanted to hear directly from the lips of those who spent three, three and a half years, all of their waking lives for those three and a half years in the presence of the Messiah. Hearing about what he had done, his public ministry, his teaching, being eyewitnesses to his miracles, to his crucifixion and his resurrection. Now think about this for a second. Sisters, the city of Sisters is only about 35 miles, depending on where you live, from where we are right now. Okay, Can you imagine if the apostles lived in Sisters and we were here in Prineville? How much we would want and long and desire to have those guys come here and share their story of how they walked and saw and heard and experienced life with Jesus, we would be overwhelmed with the joy and anticipation of their arrival. What would it have been like? How would his presence have imprinted upon their lives, impacted their lives? It would be astonishing. It would be incredible, wouldn't it, to sit at the feet of the disciples and hear their stories, their eyewitness account of walking with Christ. And so we follow Peter now, and it says in verse 32, now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country. That doesn't mean he went to every single square inch of the country per se, but that he went to the villages and the townships along the way as he moved towards the coast. And it says that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. A couple of things here. Number one, saints, the word saints. It means holy ones. And it's in reference to believers, It's used again in verse 41. This is the first time this word is used in reference to Christians. It's used some 67 times in the New Testament and in every instance it refers to all believers. Never once is it used to refer to a special group of believers who serve God better than others. It wasn't like, oh, these guys over here, they're faithful, they serve, they give their saints and these guys over here, well, they ain't that. (laughs) it's always in reference to christians scripture is clear that all christians are saints and you might be sitting there thinking well gosh i can't even imagine calling myself or referring to myself or thinking of myself as a saint i know what's in my heart i know what i've done in the past i know what i have struggled with but listen to the words of scripture First Corinthians chapter one, verse two says, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Let me ask you this this morning. Have you been set aside, set apart by the person finished work of Jesus Christ? Do you call upon the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you can say yes to those, then the Bible says you're a saint. You're a saint. Paul says in Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members, I love this, members of the household of God. That's who you are. And so Peter travels 35 miles to the city of Lydda, a city that's largely a Gentile city, to gather together with saints, people like you and people like me. And it says in verse 33, there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. I can't even imagine being bedridden for eight years a couple months ago I threw my back out we were moving some some cows over at Mark's house and threw my back out and got off my horse and I couldn't stand up anymore and I had to get help to my car and John helped me get my legs in the car I couldn't lift my legs up into the car I don't know if you guys ever hurt your back. I've never hurt my back like that. I've tweaked it a little bit to the point where I felt like I couldn't control the lower part of my body anymore. And he literally had to lift my legs in the car. And we drove um, to get my car. And again, he had to help me out of the car. I've always felt like I'm a pretty capable, strong, athletic guy. You know, 6'4", 230. But I felt so small and so helpless at that moment. He helped me get in my little Honda Accord, which was incredibly painful to get down that low. And then I got home, I drove into the garage and I kid you not, it took me 15 minutes to get from my car to the door to go into my house. I get in there and I asked Michelle to come over and help me and I said, I threw my back out. She goes, what do you mean? I go, I cannot move. She had to help me get my pants off, help me get in bed, help me get my shoes off. And I laid there for four days. I could not move. I couldn't roll over. I couldn't sit up. I couldn't stand up. It was excruciating for four days. Bedridden. This man was bedridden for eight years. I can't even imagine that. And so it says that Peter found this man Verse 34, and Peter said to him, listen to what Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Or as the King James says, maketh thee whole. Jesus the Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make your bed. And then he arose immediately. Now, this morning I was studying at my house and it was getting kind of late in the morning. My kids were still in bed. It was seven o'clock. They were supposed to get up and take showers. And so I went in there. I just read this passage. I thought, why not? Let's try it. So I walked in there. I walked in there and I said, knocked. And I said, arise and make thee bed. (laughs) And my daughter pulls the, the, the blanket off her head and looks at me and puts her head back down. And so I said, she must not have heard me. Arise and make your bed. And she goes, nah. <laughs> apparently it doesn't work with teenage girls, right? And so he says, arise and make your bed. He arose immediately. And so all who dwelt in light in Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So Aeneas is apparently a well-known individual. We don't know if he was a Christian before this, but without a doubt after this, he surely was. And what happened to him was spread throughout all of Lydda and the surrounding region, that a miracle had taken place. This man, Aeneas, a paralyzed man, was healed, and he was made whole. I like how the King James translates that. He was made whole, because that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He makes us whole. We were broken. We were incomplete. We were desperately lost. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2.11. Ephesians 2.11, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, have been brought near, present tense, brought near by the blood of Christ. The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God, Imago Dei. But it also tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that something happened that marred that image. It still exists, but not in its original form. The Bible tells us that when that happened, when they rebelled in Genesis 3, that sin entered into the dna of humanity and from that day forward to this day and as long as jesus chooses to tarry men and women are born in sin and sin manifests itself in our brokenness in our broken choices our broken decisions our broken relationships our broken thinking and our broken dreams but when we come to jesus when we came to christ Jesus picked up the brokenness of our lives, and He made us whole. Once separate, without hope, without God, but Paul tells us in Ephesians two, "But now brought near by the blood of Christ." And so Peter goes on to Lydda, and He heals this paralyzed man, and look at the result. It says, And all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. There was this radical work of God that had just taken place that resulted in a radical response from the people. The hero of the story is the one who healed Aeneas. And it's not Peter. It's Jesus Christ. In the original grammar, it states that Peter, when he got there, he saw something, he recognized something was happening to Aeneas at that very moment, and so he just proclaimed it, the original grammar literally is this, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ is healing you right now, and so he tells him, get up and walk, make your bed, Jesus has made you whole, Peter saw it, and no doubt Aeneas felt it at that very moment. Arise, Make your bed. He does. And look what happens. Look at what it says. All who saw him turned to the Lord. Those in Lydda and those in Sharon. Now Sharon, unlike Lydda, is not a city. It's actually a region. It's referring to the plains of Sharon. If you flip your Bible to the very back and you look at the maps in the back of your Bible, you'll see it talks about, you know, it'll talk about Israel in the time of Jesus and you'll see the plains of Sharon, right there on the coastline, above Lida, right below Caesarea. It, it, it encompasses 50 miles from Lida to Caesarea, and it's 10 miles wide. So it's about 500 square miles. Now think about this. What had just happened to this man was proclaimed in over 500 square miles. And the Holy Spirit tells the author of the book of Acts, to say that all who saw him came to the Lord. F.F. Bruce says, Since much of this territory was semi-Gentile in population, a further widening of the range of the saving message is implied. All. Lenski speaks and he says, So many saw the man, recognized the miracle in its true significance, and in faith turned to the Lord, that Luke could write all his impression is that an innumerable amount of people more than could be numbered turned to the lord so many that he uses the word all that is amazing think about it aeneas no doubt spoke about what God had done as much, as often, and as many ways as possible. Additionally, those who saw and those who heard of this miracle spoke about what God had done as much, as often, and as many ways as possible. And what was the result? The message spread. People were talking about the wonderful works of God and lives were being transformed and people were being saved. A radical work resulted in a radical response. And this should encourage us all the more to be about the business of telling people about all that God has done for us, in us, around us. It's been interesting. God's been doing something really unique with our church building this last week. Earlier in the week, I was going to church and I was carrying some stuff to drop off and I saw these two guys coming from the Nazarene church and crossed um, through the, the four ways there and got into our sidewalk. We're walking down by the church. And so I pulled into the parking lot there and grabbed all my stuff and I looked up and they didn't, they weren't, they didn't keep walking. I thought, that's, that's weird. I wonder if i missed them. And so I carried all my stuff to the edge of the, the parking lot. I looked down towards third street and they weren't there. And I looked back up towards first street and they weren't there. I thought, Man, they get raptured? <laughs> and so I put all my stuff inside and I come back around and I, I got this weird feeling. So I walk over and they're sitting on the steps of the church and they're rolling joints. Oh, wow. They're smoking dope. And I say, hey guys, can I have one? Oh, no, no kidding. it's kidding. Yeah. Good <laughs> set. Good, set. good set. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl's like, oh my God. Can we edit that out? Oh my God. And, uh, no, and I said, guys, you know, hey, if you please, you couldn't do that, that'd be great. And, and then, but God's bringing people to the church. We had a conversation. And and then last night, the prayer meeting, I get to the prayer meeting a little bit early and, and there's a young lady sitting on the step. And uh, and she tells me, she goes, oh, is this a house? I go, oh, it's, you know, it's the house of God. It's a, it's a church. And she goes, oh, I thoughts so yeah i'm just waiting for a friend that's okay and, and so i go inside and i figure she's gonna be there for a few moments and we start prayer meeting and then a couple other people walk in about 15 minutes or so later and they've been having conversations with this young lady i think her name was angela Isn't that right angela last night and so they're having conversations with her and god's doing something like he's blowing people like tumbleweeds into the the stoop of the church <laughs> The doorway of the church, God's bringing people there. And we're having conversations with people that are broken and who are lost. God is bringing the right people, the right moment to have deliberate conversations with these individuals. Just like what's happening in the pages of scripture this morning. Where Peter has a deliberate conversation with a man. And then this man has deliberate conversations with others. And those people have deliberate conversations with others. And they share the wonderful works that God is doing in and around their lives and people are getting saved because of it. Now the word deliberate is becoming a new, a fresh word to me. Not like I've never heard it before, but like I'm being reacquainted with that word. I just recently watched a movie with my daughter, Wyatt, Earp, Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp. It's a good one. Three hours long. So if you have three hours to spare, it's a really good <laughs> movie to watch. It kind of fills all the holes, you know, where Tombstone kind of left out. Gives us a little more background about his, who, who he was and how he was raised and all of that. But there's a scene that's really interesting. If you remember, he becomes kind of sheriff of Tombstone at one point, um, and he hires two men, Ed and Bat Masterson, to be his deputies. And they're walking the streets at night, and two guys come stumbling out of a bar. They've just established a law in Tombstone that you cannot wear a firearm within the city limits right? And so uh, Wyatt tells Bet, uh, Bat and Ed, hey, you guys take this one. They go up there and Ed starts talking to these guys and they've got their smoke wagons on their hip and he's trying to talk them out to hand back their, their firearms. And out of nowhere, Wyatt comes and pistol whips these two guys and knocks them on the ground, right? And then he says to, to Ed, you talk too much, Ed. You need to get to the point people's lives depend upon it. And he kicks open this guy's hand and he's got a pistol in his hand. He was getting ready to shoot Ed Masterson. Takes him to jail, put him in jail. Now they have this conversation in the jailhouse and Ed's like pretty upset. He's going, Wyatt, you know I mean? I think I could have talked him down. You didn't have to do that, Wyatt. And Wyatt looks at him and says, you should find a different job. One that suits you because you're not a deliberate man. I don't sense that about you. How about you this morning? Are you a deliberate man? Are you a deliberate woman? Are you deliberate in your personal relationship with Jesus? Are you deliberate in your relationships with others, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your parents, with your friends, etc.? Or could it be that we talk too much about insignificant matters and that we should be more deliberate about eternal matters because people's lives depend on it? Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Now, if my name was Tabitha, I would never translate my name. (laughs) This woman, and I love this, what it says, this woman was full of, Of good works, full of good works and full of charitable deeds, which she did. But verse 37 says, It happened in those days that she became sick and she died. Doesn't seem fair, does it? That people who are loving and kind, people who spend their lives doing good and serving others faithfully, generously, selflessly, using their time, their talents, and their treasures to bless others, to make other people's lives better. And then they get sick, and they pass. It doesn't seem right, but that's the world that we live in. And unfortunately, Christians are not immune to those things. And verse 37 says, She died, and then they washed her body. And they laid her in an upper room. Now this is interesting because traditionally when someone died there in the Middle East, in Israel, they would bury their bodies within the first few hours. Definitely within the first 24 hours. But here they do something radically different. They take her body, they wash it, they take her and they place her in an upper room. Okay? And no doubt, verse 38 tells us they heard that Peter was in Lydda. And no doubt they heard of Ananias' miraculous healing. And so they thought, hey, let's let's see what God might do. And so they send for Peter. Verse 38 says, since Lydda was near Joppa, only 10 miles northwest of Lydda is the town of Joppa on the coast. And the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then it says, verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. Again, 10 miles away, roughly three to four hour walk. And this is important. A three or four hour walk. It says, and when he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. And notice what it says in verse 40. Kind of strange. It says, but Peter put them out. You can imagine the scene. Here comes Peter after walking for 10 miles, three or four hours in the Middle Eastern heat and humidity. He's a little gassed, a little tired, a little sweaty. He walks upstairs and he walks into this room. There's all this commotion. These, these women, these widows, wailing, moaning, crying, weeping. And they're, as he walks in the door, they're showing him all the garments that this woman had made for them while she was alive, how she served them, perhaps even wiping their tears with the garments that she had made. And what does Peter do? Immediately, he opens the door and pushes everyone out. Now remember, when Jesus was alive, Peter was a disciple of Christ. He was a disciple in training. And he learned about ministry by watching Jesus. What to do is... Check. There we are. <laughs> he learned what to do by watching Peter what to do in any given situation. And he had seen Jesus do exactly this thing. When Jesus had come to Jairus' daughter, Mark chapter 5, you guys remember the story? These men come and say, quick, come to our master. His daughter is sick. And Jesus tries to come. The woman with a flow of blood reaches through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. Remember that story? She's healed. Jesus continues on. And he goes into the room where Jairus' daughter is, is laying out. And there's all these professional mourners who are there. And then mom and dad are there. And he pushes the professional mourners out. He keeps mom and dad there. And then Jesus does exactly um, this. He puts these people outside. So Peter does exactly what Jesus did with one exception. Notice Peter's posture. Notice Peter's posture, verse 40. He put them all out and knelt down and prayed. He knelt down and prayed. Now we have no record in the book of Acts or anywhere in the New Testament that Peter ever at this point raised anyone from the dead. So this is a big deal. This is the first time. This is a really big deal. He has never told anyone get up. So what does he do? He gets down and he gets on his knees and he prays. And I can only imagine what that prayer was like. Put yourself in his position. He's just been in Lida. He's just witnessed a miracle. And all of a sudden, these guys come running in. And they tell him that someone has died. He's never met before, but she's a Christian. And the town is upside down with grief. And we need you to come. And so he walks 10 miles, three or four hours, And he gets there and he knows what they're asking him to do. (laughs) This is a huge ask. Can you imagine the pressure? Everyone is thinking he's the guy. She's going to be raised from the dead. We got the right guy to pray. And he walks in the room, pushes everyone out, gets on his knees. And I can imagine it went something like this. This is how my prayer would go if I was Peter. Oh God, please help me. God, please, you got to help me here. This is way beyond anything. I am so out of my depth. These guys want me to raise this woman from the dead. I can't do that. You can do that. I can't do that. Lord, you've got to help me, please. Do what only you can do. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now again, taking the example of Jesus, He says, Tabitha, arise. In Mark chapter 5, what does Jesus say? He says, Talitha, arise. Talitha, arise. Talitha was the name of Jairus' daughter. It means little lamb. And literally what he says is, little lamb, arise. Peter doesn't know what to do, right? He's beside himself. He's way outside of his depth. And so he says, Tabitha, which means little gazelle. Tabitha, that's her name, arise. What a great example that is for us. When we are out of our depth, when we do not know what to do, just do what Jesus did. It sounds so cliche, but it's such a, a great and correct response when we don't know what to do. Maybe except for Mark chapter 8 when Jesus spits in that guy's eyes. Maybe don't do that. But other than that, do what Jesus did. Did In general, when we don't know what to do, do what Jesus did. And notice it says, and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now this is pretty astonishing. I always try to put myself in the scriptures and try to figure out like, what would it have been like? What would they have seen? What would they have experienced? You've got to understand that time has passed, right? Remember, she died. And it took a little bit of time for them to figure out what to do next. And they decided that, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna wash her body. That took time. And they took her body into the upper room. And then they thought, what should we do next? Well guys, I've heard that there's Peter's only 10 miles away in Lida. We should just send a couple of guys over there. They probably had some discussion about that. Should we do that? Should we bother the apostle? What should we do? Have this little discussion. That took some time. Then they send two guys 10 miles, three or four hours. And then they find Peter and they have to convince him to come. And then Peter has to walk another 10 miles, three or four hours. So at least eight or 10 hours, if not 12 hours have transpired. And let me ask you, what do you think would happen to a dead body in the heat and humidity of the Mediterranean in 12 hours? It wouldn't be pretty. Rigor mortis would set in, the skin would begin to sag from cell rupture, and begin to turn pale and ashen, the body would begin to bloat. The fluids in the body would begin to sink down. Gravity would push them to the, the very bottom. So if she's laying on her back. It would all go towards her back, pulling that loose skin down with it. Her eyes would sink into her skull. And decomposition would begin producing an unpleasant odor. Remember what they said about Lazarus. Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> <laughs> And this is the scene that Peter walks into. She's lying there in front of him. And you have to understand how remarkable this is. He prays, Tabitha, arise. And the eyes that were once sunken into her skull open. And she sees Peter. And she sits up. The miracle here is tremendous. In my mind, I, I think about Kramer from Seinfeld. <laughs> Can you imagine? When he sees her pop up. It must have been such a surprise to Peters. Whoa! Whoa! You know? And here's the reality. All of us have read about and we've heard stories in recent years of people being raised from the dead, people dying and through prayer. They come back to life. But here's the thing. And I pray this encourages you this morning. Every single person who is a born-again Christian has been raised from the dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once, past tense, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all Once past tense, conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, past tense, by nature, children of God, just as the others. And two of the greatest words in Scripture are next. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his love, his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, past tense, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. We were once dead in trespasses and sins, and we've been made alive by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 41, then he gave her his hand. Peter's a gentleman. He stretches out his hand, takes her by the hand. He lifts her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. We're not given any details about what happened to her when she died, what she saw, what she heard, what she experienced. All we're told is that she died and now she's alive. And I think that many times we get so caught up in the unknown of life. We get so stressed out about the what-ifs, about the what-could-be's that we forget to live in the here and now. The life that Jesus gives us is to be celebrated. The life that Jesus gives us is to be shared. And may I say this, the life that Jesus gives us is to be broadcast so that others might know what we know and experience what we experience. And here we read, just like the miracle of Aeneas, that what God had done became known. And because it had become known, many believed on the Lord. John Stott said this, In accordance with the purpose of the signs, which was to authenticate and illustrate the salvation message of the apostle, people heard the word, they saw the signs, and they believed. They heard the word, they saw the signs, and they believed. What do people hear coming from your mouth? What do people see as they look at your life? We are supposed to be living testimonies of God's grace. And God would have us be individuals that broadcast, that celebrate, that put on display all that God has done in and through us. May the worship team make their way up. As we look at this passage, we begin to see quite a few similarities and parallel themes and four things we, we see, I want to leave you with these four things. Number one, both miracles follow the example of Jesus. As you look at the miracle of Aeneas being healed, you look at the miracle of Tabitha being raised from the dead, both of them follow the example of Jesus. Secondly, both miracles were performed by the power of Jesus. Thirdly, both miracles were signs of the salvation of Jesus. And lastly, both miracles greatly contributed to the glory of Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43 shows us Peter's posture produced provision, or literally, he put Jesus on display and God did the rest. He just made himself available and God did the rest. If you're a Christian, God has saved you. God has raised you from the dead. John Stott said this, your very life is a visible sign of that new life into which by the power of the resurrection, you are saved. I love that. Your life, my life, is a visible sign of that new life into which by the power of the resurrection, we have been raised. Peter was a man that was deliberate. Aeneas was deliberate. Tabitha was deliberate. She used her time, her talents, and her treasures to serve other people. Those who saw and heard these miracles were deliberate. And the result was that many, many people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'm reminded of Paul in Galatians 2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Paul was a deliberate man. What he's saying here in Galatians 2.20 is, I'm going to live a deliberate life. Your very life is a visible sign of that new life into which by the power of the resurrection, you have been saved. Guys, ladies, brothers, sisters, Let's live deliberate lives, and let's live our lives with purpose, with a posture that produces God's provision, with a posture that puts Jesus on display, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and as we opened our time together, praying and asking, Lord, that you would speak to each person here this morning individually. Lord, that you pierce our hearts, that we would know that you spoke to us about things we need to do, about where we are, about who we are in Christ, and Lord, I'm sure there are some here today who walked upon this lawn and sat down in chairs, Lord, whose lives Are spiritually paralyzed. Something has happened to stop their progression. Something has happened to stunt their growth. Whereas once they used to follow you, they used to run after you. Now, they're barely moving, if they're moving at all. And Lord, I pray today would be a day where your spirit would speak to them and they would hear the words. Jesus the Christ heals you. Jesus the Christ makes you whole. Arise and make your bed. And they would experience freedom today. Liberty today. Free to follow hard after you. Free to run after you, Lord. To keep pace with you. And experience all the benefits that come from being in your presence. Lord, others today are, have walked in, Lord, in their dead spiritually, They're like Tabitha. They've been laid out. And Lord, you would speak those words. Arise. And you would breathe life into them today. Lord, they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. They would recognize that, wherever they have gone, whatever they have done, wherever they have looked to to fulfill their hearts has left them empty, broken, and dead inside. And they would answer the call of Jesus today. Arise. And they would experience new life in you today. For those, Lord God, in that place, Lord, we pray you'd minister to their hearts. We pray, Lord God, that they would experience the joy of and the miracle of Jesus coming into their life and doing a work. And as we talk about this extraordinary, radical work that produced a radical response, may we be a people that respond to you. May we be a people who are deliberate in living our lives and putting Jesus on display for the world to see. As much, as often, and as in many ways as possible. To you be all the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I just want to encourage you to celebrate the freedom that we have in Jesus. And literally just go about your day. Your heart filled, your mind filled with all that Jesus has done. And then as people look at you and they say, What's the deal with you? You can say, Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. What he's done in me. What he is doing in me. What he's done around me. And just let God do what God does. Amen? Amen. So we're going to celebrate a little bit of freedom. Um, Hillary wants to be baptized today. And so we're going to just take a quick transition. And we'll go back there to uh, the trough. And we're going to baptize her. Anyone else here this morning who... Really feels the tug of of the Lord upon their heart to get baptized. Want to invite me to come? They might say, "Well, hey, I'm not ready. I didn't bring any shorts, a swimsuit, nothing. Hey, just come in your clothes, right? Just come as you are. That's how Jesus takes us. And so I want to encourage you to come, and uh, we'll just celebrate freedom together. Amen? Amen.